What a blessing. I want you to turn your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter number 3. Confrontation is not easy. How many like to follow through with a confrontation? It's difficult, isn't it? Uh, I think if we look at what's going on in the world today, there's a lot of confrontation going on, right? And uh, what we would call cancel culture, you know. uh, It's amazing to me because when you get somebody that's on the dark side of things, they're always saying what needs to be done, or as far as shutting someone down, but then they're actually twisting it because they're the ones that need to perhaps be quiet on an issue. And uh, cancel culture is one of those things. I think the culture that we're living in right now uh, is difficult. And when we're canceling any kind of culture, uh, we need to be careful because that may just cause trouble in the future because if we don't remember where we came from, we'll probably do it again uh, if we're not careful. And again, it just makes sense. And for the person that has their eyes open to things and that walks in the truth and walks in the light, these days are difficult. And by nature, we seem to shy away from the, the, uh, the, the course that would lead us to confrontation. And confrontation, in some cases, really it cannot be avoided. It's sometimes it's downright necessary um, I think we're living in a world like that right now. What I want to address uh, this morning really is confronting the culture from a biblical perspective. And some of you maybe have lost heart in this. I know I heard a pastor years ago say that he was so so tired of not seeing the, the pastors doing what they're supposed to be doing seeking the the big packages and seeking money rather than really telling the truth about what the scriptures say, uh, more worried about their reputation than their character, you know. And, and so I really think that this particular message needs to be heard, and I titled it How uh, Confronting the, the COVID Culture and How We Can Do That. I, I think I believe, really, for the Christians that we are to be confronting, and we are uh, needful to speak up. I think a lot of times we're talking about the the salt and the light. We talked about this Wednesday night and uh, had a little conversation with some of the people here that we, we don't have really anything to blame for the city's issues today other than the salt and the light isn't helping preserve that which is falling apart. In other words, if God has given us the responsibility of being salt of the earth and the light of the world, then the salt of the earth is actually to be used then to preserve something. And uh, gave the reference to how that, uh, you know, you, you pull out a steak and cook it and maybe you haven't had one with some for a while or get some chicken on the grill or whatever. And maybe you've got some planned for this afternoon. You want to take some salt and put on that to be able to give it some savory and so I know that if I'm going to put salt on my steak or my chicken, I don't want salt that's lost its savory, if you would. Uh, sometimes you can buy the salt that really isn't salt, but it's kind of like, it's like, an, like, you know, they have sugar that's not really like sugar. You know what I'm saying? They have like an alternative and it's not really, you know, you can tell if it's salt, can't you? Uh, and so when we're talking about this, if it's lost its savory, then what good really is it? You take the thing and 
dump the whole thing, the lid off, and put it on there. It'll taste a little bit salty. But when it's lost its savor, you know, and that's what's happening in our culture today, it's, it, things will actually fall back if we're not being the salt and the light that we need to be as Christians. And so we look at all of these things and saying, well, we're so mad at this person or this congressman or whatever, when we shouldn't be looking within our own hearts and saying, am I seeking God? Am I desiring for revival in my own heart? Am I repenting? Am I, am I where I need to be? Uh, really, instead of looking out and seeing how bad things are, we need to seek the Lord. Um, and I think when it comes to this, how do we do this? I, I think also we're supposed to be the light. That's the illumination of things to expose. And, and light is a positive force. And we take both of those things away, the salt and the light, in any society, it will rot back. My son's um, do a lot of fur. Uh, Joshua is here this morning, and they do a lot of in the fur business. Where they're trappers still today, or or you know the fur business is was going good here years ago. It's kind of gone down a little bit. But if they would take these uh, wild animals and then they were processing them, they would stack them one upon another, put a lot of salt in between, so the fleshing part of it wouldn't rot. And so that is a preserver. You would preserve that particular fur, so maybe you use someday for leather boots or whatever, or, or, or whatever. They make hats and so on with them, or coats, or whatever it's used for, would be able to be usable, but it wouldn't be just a pile of rotting things. The salt does that to any society. If you think that our culture is rotting, it is because of the lack of salt and light in our communities. The problem with Madison is that Madison needs salt and light. Now, we can talk about how bad it is all we want to. And I think that sometimes we as fundamental Baptists talk about how bad things are. Let's come up with a solution to getting the word of God into the city so that the mayor doesn't have to scramble with her own theories, that she would know that the word of God brings light. She would have to follow her senses. She could follow the scriptures and be strong in the word of God. That can happen. I'm praying for God to give us a born-again mayor. That's what I'm praying for. Can Madison ever have a born-again mayor? You know, I think we'll tell right away whether Madison has a born-again mayor or not. We'll tell right away. Because all of the financial issues that we deal with go right back to the spiritual issues. All of the physical problems, many of them, and, and some of the sicknesses that we have, go back to the spiritual part of us. And I really believe that God will give us that if we ask him and seek him and desire to be what we should be. And so we should be then to this culture, and when it begins to decay and eventually will rot away, uh, and I believe that America at this particular time, if we don't do something... It will die. It will die. And I think it's difficult sometimes, but we must do something. We must do something. Um, years ago, I was with some family members, and they were talking about the homosexual crowd. And they said that they were, you know, if they want to do that, they go ahead and do that, you know, didn't set well with me because God cannot bless a country who allows abominations to be yes. everywhere. God can't bless us. 
And they don't talk about these issues. I think, how do nations die? We talk about America and how wonderful it's been, and even Israel looks at our Constitution and says, wow, what a brilliant Constitution. And Israel says, God bless America. Jim Nelson Black wrote a book, When Nations Die, and in his book he focuses on 3,000 years of history and the rise and fall of civilizations. The history of the world is made up of nations that were conquered by other nations and others died or collapsed into the arms of anarchy. And some, someone said that the roots of culture come from cult. Culture, that part of the word, is based upon the religious or spiritual worldview. And America culture, America's culture came from the Bible. It originally was established from the word of God to include everybody to seek the same God. I remember when I was in the Marine Corps back in 1983, I was thinking after the bombings in Lebanon, I said, America's a wonderful place. And if people want to come here, they can leave their gods at the gate. Because our God is the God of heaven. It's pretty strong. But for a 22, 23-year-old man thinking that, because of what I saw in the other cultures all around the world, America has been blessed all of these years. And God bless America again. I watched what was going on in TV the last couple of, 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 of weeks. It seemed like that there was this negative and there was this positive. And I don't want to get into it because my blood pressure has been high recently for some odd reason. And I I think our country was built upon the truths of the word of God, and so our nation was founded upon the biblical worldview, Um, seeing things through the scriptures. And we are so far removed from that today. I mean, I can't believe it. I look back and think, you know, I can see that digression early on, and I've spoke of this several times on taking both the Bible and the prayer out of the public school system. And I remember in 1972, sitting in class at Sherman Middle School in the sixth grade and having a counselor come and say, Dean Howell? And I would come to the door and I would walk with them and they would go into a room and close the door. It didn't have any windows on it. 1972, they sat down they said, do you feel safe at home? I was like, why? What's going on at home? You know, and our culture was changing because for some reason, those godless people wanted the, the authority over the home yes. and over what was going on. You know, every home that I, that I knew of, and every person in my class came from a dysfunctional family. We all have. The first family was dysfunctional. The brother killed the other brother. You can't see a perfect family. You think a family's perfect? Watch them. Just wait. Just wait a while. You'll see. You know? And we have this myth. Well, I wish my family was like their family. You don't even know. (laughs) Today is, I look around, I I know the answer. Because I know what the answer was for me individually. That was humility. That was admitting who I am, admitting my need, 
And unless America gets to that humility again, it'll never be blessed. It hurts me to see what's going on in these streets. This poor young man that went out and shot two other people and now their family's hurting. And this man that was shot several times in the back. And what a horrible, horrible thing that's going on in the streets of America. You know, probably about a year ago I was thinking, you know, this stuff it seems like it's elevating. But I'm thinking, well, maybe it's just that, you know, we get exposed to seeing more cameras and maybe that's what it was, the cell phones. Now, you know, we're seeing more of it. It always was there. But I realized that things are waxing worse and worse as a culture. So if today, uh, if we bring our Bible to school or try to use it as a textbook, we'd be ridiculed, laughed at, and they would look at us as being ignorant if you carry your Bible. Those are those ignorant people. You need a crutch. And sometimes you'll even have Christian relatives that'll say, you go to church so much because you just need that, you're weak. You just wait. Because God is going to bless you, dear friend, for being faithful. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into my kingdom. I think when we think about these things, it causes us to evaluate our own hearts and I believe also our country will be collapsing sooner if we don't confront these people that are in charge with what the Bible says. I think in Jim Nelson Black's book, he speaks of three significant areas of decay when a country begins to decline and is ready to die. Um, By the way, Andrew Jackson said this, That book, sir, referring to the Bible, is the rock on which our republic rests. And that rock is Jesus. You can't change Jesus from the Word of God. That's why I don't like people messing with my Bible. Don't mess with my Bible. Leave it alone. That's Jesus. Because the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Logos. But he he comes up with these three things that actually uh, he can point out in the area of the decay of a nation. The first one is social decay. Social decay. You know, I've been thinking about this COVID thing and a culture that really is hindering us from smiling at people and saying hi to people and encouraging people. Bob's not with us this morning. He was with us yesterday. But when I was doing Linda's funeral, I couldn't see the people's faces or their expressions. We were outside. I think the only one without a mask was my wife and a young lady from CEF. So I knew what my wife's facial features were because I see them every day. So I can tell somewhat on how I'm doing through that. But if I don't see your faces, I don't know how well, you're taking what I'm saying, and it hinders somewhat socially. I don't know if you're angry or if you're smiling, you know. Um, I, I really think someone needs to invent a mask that is clear. They probably have. I think they should disperse those. So we can see whether you're smiling or whether you're frowning or whether you're hurting. 
because I think we're supposed to edify people and encourage them and try to be the salt and the light. And you think about that and you're conscious of it when you're at, even at a stop sign and you look at someone, you think, I've got to be nice to this person. I've got to let them go first. And I'm at Menards and I'm, I'm trying to buy materials and I'm seeing these people breathing with their masks on and so on. And, and you're wondering if, if, you're, if you're in their way or not. Uh, it's difficult. Social decay, the crisis of lawlessness, was one of the things that actually showed that a country was about to decay and fall, was lawlessness. Um, I was shocked to hear that more destruction was done to our city. More windows were broken at the Capitol. Why? The Capitol didn't do anything to them. I saw a video, maybe you have the same thing with social media, where these young people with masks on are screaming at some of our congressmen. And uh, I'm talking about people from every class and culture are yelling at our congressmen and screaming at them. And all they're wanting to do is just kind of do the best they can for America and come up with policies that will help govern us in the right way so that we can have the liberty that we need, but yet there's got to be some kind of guidelines along the way. The other thing with social decay was the loss of economic discipline. I think that there's a discipline in the area of finances that is not easy without the Lord. The Lord gives us grace to be able to handle the finances. And I think a culture that is actually full of lawlessness and full of sensuality sometimes can show and be seen by the financial way that things are going. The rise of bureaucracy. He goes on to say, in ancient Greece, the first symptom of disorder were a general loss of respect for the way things used to be. New thinkers in society argue for fundamental change and called for the giving the youth a voice in society without traditional guidelines. The young men grew wild and undisciplined, destroying the older culture. It happened in Northland Baptist Bible College when the young people made videos saying, well, they didn't know what they were doing years ago, but we do now. That was in a Christian Bible college. Who am I to say shame on them? But the disgrace, a whole generation of people who were sacrificing to see to it that they had what they had, There should be tears of joy and thankfulness toward that generation that struggled and suffered and went through it all so they didn't have to. And then to have spoiled little brats, both in a secular and a sacred society, what a mess we have. Someone's got to say it, folks. Young people in here, listen to me. You better love your parents. Better honor your parents. I, I had a chance yesterday to meet a 97-year-old man. I went to breakfast early with my brother. Yesterday was a happy day. I had breakfast with my brother, and I came back and had breakfast with the men at church here. So I ate breakfast twice yesterday. I really behaved the first one, didn't behave the second one. That's that breakfast, you mean. That's what I ate. That's what I was eating. I behaved, but anyway. <laughs> I, I come out of the pine cone, 
waiting for my brother. He was buying some cream puffs for my grandsons. They're here today, but they got these cream puffs that were probably about this tall, and it was like mostly cream. Tammy just suggested eat the cream, throw the rest of it away. But we bought them. He was in there buying them, and I was outside talking to a man. I thought, here's a great opportunity to witness to somebody. And I don't know how old he is, but he looked pretty old. You know, I do and say, sir, he was so delighted I was talking to him. He was so delighted that I brought up the fact that in Wisconsin, during this time of year, things get really nice in the weather-wise. He liked that. He was really excited about it, you know. And... Uh, so I began to talk to him. He said, you know, when I was 96 years old, you know, way back when I was 96, you know, he said, I got a $10,000 check from the government. I said, you did? Wow. He goes, I didn't ask any questions. I just cashed it. You know, I said, that's what I would have done, you know. I said, this is my kind of American. Let me sit down and talk to him. Put my arm around him. You know, I had a picture taken with him. You know, he was in World War II. He's from Bloomington, not too far away from where my mom and my dad grew up in Mount Ida, Wisconsin, and knew Luda Vesperman, you know, just telling you all this because he's been through all of this. He's been through America. And what he he sees, he didn't complain about it because I didn't complain about it. I just wanted to talk about the Lord. And I told him, I said, you realize that you've had a long life because you obeyed your parents. It's the first commandment with promise that if you obey your mom and dad, your life will be long upon the earth. And he was like looking at me, you know. And then the phone rang, and I knew it was the devil called, and I couldn't finish talking to him. I had to go with my brother and left the man without a track or anything to have anything. But I had a chance to talk to this guy and encourage him a little bit. But I told him, I said, look, your long life happened because you obeyed your parents, young people. Love your parents and obey your parents. America is, needs you. They need you to stay with it, even through our hard days now. Because God will, again, bless America if we turn to him and repent from our ways and turn back to him. He will. And he can. And I believe he will. I, I think it's important for me to continue on. I, I wanted to just kind of remind you of a few things in here. And one of the things was social decay. Um, if I could have a clock up there, I'd appreciate it. I'm really out of it this morning as far as what time. I could go on until 5 o'clock tonight. They, don't want to, they want me to do that. I've got to keep going. Cultural decay, weakening of foundations, declining of education, religious or biblical Weakening of foundations. The Bible says in Proverbs twenty-two twenty-eight. and by the way, I will get to the text in just a moment. Decline of education, increase of materialism, and of course, we're talking about that in our culture we live today. There's an increase in... Young people have a lot of things. It's been said of the Roman society, he goes on to say that greed and self-indulgence led Romans to dangerous excesses. And someone said, for it is true that when men had fewer possessions, they were also modest in their desires. I think when you increase in your desires and fulfilling them and fulfilling, you're going to have to be thirsty for more and more and more and more. Shame on NBA, on the NBA. Shame on the baseball. I don't want to watch any of them anymore. I'm sorry. Because if you want to be political, you go ahead. I'm going to live my life. I'll go out in the woods and do some hunting or something or fishing. I enjoyed you, 
And Georgia, 1983, they showed the Packers last night. Just for a second, I was flipping through, and they were, they were beating on the Lions, Detroit Lions. Back in the day, 1993, they can't, you know, play real sports now because of, because of the way we're responding. It's not the COVID that's killing us. It's our response to it. Weak leaders responding to it. So what is the answer? I think we have to remember that we can't put our stamp of approval on all of this. We can't put our stamp of approval on, on abortions and gay marriage and all of the mess that we're involved in, and this is the result of it, dear friend. This is the result of it. So what is the answer? Truth. Truth is the answer, and God gives the remedy for a sick culture. It is biblical truth and us heeding to his truth. So how do we confront a culture? I think by establishing New Testament churches that are strong and thriving and are fulfilling the needs of the hearts of many, a culture that actually is wasting away needs an emergency room where people can come. They can come on a Friday night. They can come on a Wednesday night. They can come on a Sunday night. They come on a Sunday morning. Did you realize that we're not normal? Grace Baptist Church, you are not normal because you are open. And you are going through the things that we need to be doing. We're not normal. I had a lady this week. I bought a coffee pot for the basement from her. And their church is not meeting. And the largest churches that are in here that have some influence are not meeting, many of them. It's difficult to accept this. Because it is easier for them. So, I I just got to keep going. Cultural decay, moral decay, of course we, social decay, it's all happening. So, but in our text, we see in 1 Timothy, chapter number 3, the hope and the help, and that is a bishop. What is a bishop? Sometimes when I go to these meetings with pastors, they'll say, hey, Bishop Howell, you know, I'm not Amish, you know, I'm a pastor, just call me Dean, it's fine, Yeah. But it's interesting as we think about this because the Lord is giving direction toward pastors and deacons inside of an organizational church that runs and functions so that people can have a place where they can come and gather and worship the God of heaven with good music and good preaching and good teaching and resources that will help them. And so in our text, we read so much, and because of time, I can't read it all, but there's, there's a lot here concerning it. Um, but in our text, in, in 1 Timothy 3, it, um, it's significant because it is talking about the spiritual leadership in a church. Two offices, both bishop, pastor, and deacons, plural. And so we see that here. We're doing the best we can to have the two ordinances that are actually functioning here, both baptism and the Lord's Supper. We have a baptism in a few minutes. We have the Lord's Supper coming up next week, I believe, right? Already, September. And so the first thing is that we need to understand that in this particular scenario, there is a leadership that is actually uh, given here, that these are qualifications for the men that are spiritual leading the church. They need to have a good testimony. They need to have a good conscience. They need to have a good record of supply. They need to be upbeat in what they're doing. 
They can't have wives that are slanderers. That's true in verse number 11. So then let the deacons be uh, the husband of one wife, ruling their children well and their own houses well. For they have issued this office as a deacon, well purchased to them a good degree and great boldness. So he's talking about the local church, but he's moving and shifting over to verse number 15. But if I tarry, I'm writing these things unto you so that you know, but if I tarry, that thou mayest know how that thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the what? The truth. That particular word there also, and I, I, I think the ground is dealing with the stay or the foundational emphasis of truth. And so we're focusing on this whole thing of truth as a local church needs to be functioning in truth and people that are walking in truth and people that are hungry for truth and people that are seeking truth on the outside come in and say, there is a truthful place. Those people are true. Those people are honest. Those people are real. That's what we want to see at Grace Baptist Church. And I think we think about this, and so I come up with three points really quick. Acknowledging truth preeminently. So I want to acknowledge truth as preeminent in everything. Tell me the truth. You deal with some children, perhaps, that won't tell you the truth. You know what God wants from you? To, to acknowledge the truth to Him. He knows everything already. We cannot deceive God. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. So we see that there is a need for us. We live in a culture where truth is kind of hard to find. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 14, And judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the streets, and equity cannot enter. Talking about a nation that will fall. And we live in a society where some people refuse to acknowledge truth, much less place it in the place of, re, of preeminent. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, that if God preeventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. So we go back to the truth. Truth always rises. It'll come out sooner or later. Maybe... You're afraid to tell someone the truth because you might hurt their feelings. Sometimes this is done at the dinner table, right? Do you like what I made? Not really, honey. It has like an aftertaste to it a little bit. Well, that's being truthful. I want to say, man, you know, I just, I would consider something else maybe next time. Cleveland Armory tells the story about a judge named John Lowell of Boston. And one morning, the judge at the breakfast table, his face hid behind the newspaper. A frightened maid tiptoed into the room and whispered something to Mrs. Lowell's ear and said, with a pale face, she put her shoulders back and said, I burned the oatmeal. And the lady said to her husband, John, the cook burned your oatmeal and there's no more in the house. I'm afraid you're not going to have some this morning. And he put the newspaper down and said, I'm so glad for 23 years I've eaten that and I don't really like it. <laughs> Sometimes truth will rise at the funniest times. 
I was thinking about this, about anyway, I need to move on. So really, we're looking at truth preeminently, but also accepting truth personally. Have you personally acknowledged the truth of Jesus Christ? Really, have you done that? That's what our culture needs today. Amen? People that will receive Jesus as Jesus Christ. And all of these people that are saying these bad things on the streets, I, I don't really think that's considered to be even repeated. Because I think the majority of the people in this country do know who Jesus Christ is. And I believe that there are still the majority that have trusted Christ as their personal Savior. I still believe that. And that's where our hope lies. It doesn't lie in more laws or less laws or tearing down of this or tearing down of that. Our hope lies in the person of Jesus Christ. Some of us in this room need a relationship with truth personally. It will not happen until you acknowledge and accept truth. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse number 32. He said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So accepting truth personally gives us a boldness to witness. Gave Paul the boldness to witness. Paul met the truth on the road to Damascus. He was blinded by the light. Blinded by Jesus Christ. What a blessing it has uh, to read it over and over. In Acts chapter 9, verse number 4 through verse number 6, it tells us the wonderful story of Paul, the apostle. It tells us about Saul turning into the apostle Paul. And when you have an encounter with truth personally, it will change your life. It changed the life of the apostle Paul. He took the truth of the, uh, into, uh, into a pagan culture and confrontation was on the mind of Paul because he knew how corrupt their beliefs were, but he still preached anyway, even though he knew he was going to be arrested and spend time in jail. He knew that he needed to preach Jesus Christ. Accepting truth personally gives us the power to overcome. I'm going to show a video at this time. I want, if you could gear that up and show it to me. I want you to watch it. This is really, I debated whether I should or not. It's five minutes long, and I'll close after this video But I think we have to come to the place of knowing that accepting truth personally gives us the power to overcome. You say, well, I keep being broken down. I can't overcome. I can't overcome. I can't overcome. I really believe that that, uh, believing and admitting the truth will help you to be able to have the power to overcome anything in your life, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's money, I I don't know what your problems are. Um, God knows what your problems are. And if you feel like you're having a little bit of a weak time overcoming, there is hope out there. I want to show a video of my brother. Um, I want you to be able to see. This is Dale and Kim Howell. Dale ran our RU program for a little while. Kim is his wife, and Kim and Dale and I were all in the same church together when we were younger. And uh, their hope and their help came from the Lord. PBS did a story on them. But I want you to watch it, and then I'll talk a little bit afterwards and give an invitation. Can we get that up there, if possible? Should I keep talking? I'll keep preaching until they get it up. Let me know when you're ready. It's interesting, though, not to only to, or we are supposed to accept truth personally, but also stand for truth positionally. And take a stand. 
Don't be weak. You know, there's too many people that are giving in. You know what the truth is. You know what you're supposed to be doing. Stand tall. Put your shoulders back and be what God wants you to be. I'm not a motivating speaker. Perhaps uh, there's somebody else that can do a better job and to help motivate you. I'm telling you what God can do in your life. Do you take a stand and God will help you to continue to stand? Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with what? Truth. Go ahead and show it. My son was uh, always adventurous. Jason was a hard worker. He got with a group of guys that were, uh, for recreation, snorting uh, pain pills on the weekends. Pretty soon heroin was cheaper, and I became his drug of choice. It was constantly not enough money to pay for uh, rent anymore, not enough money to keep the water on. It was hard enough to see it being our son and his wife, but the children were the hardest of all. Some of the people that he was with went into shooting up heroin. Jason picked it up for a group of people. One of the kids shot up their their girlfriend. She OD'd. She didn't die, but she did OD. And he served, a, he got sentenced to a mandatory a federal prison sentence of 10 years. When Jason did get incarcerated, our oldest grandson was uh, left alone oftentimes to take care of his younger siblings, which was probably... Probably the hardest time of my life to go through. Their mother had overdosed and was being taken to the hospital. We were planning on getting all four of the children. And when the courts decided to split them up between grandparents, that was a really hard situation. When I learned my dad was going away, it was it was hard for all of us. Uh, most challenging part, I'd say, was just learning how long he was going to be gone. We see Jason about three times a year. It's an eight and a half hour journey there. It's a horrible thing to experience. And it wouldn't be so bad if it was just Kim and I, but usually we've got four little ones' hands and taking them in as well, and they shouldn't have to experience that either. The hardest part about seeing our dad is just knowing he can't come home with us that day. Best part about seeing my dad is remembering, like, all the good times that we have and that there's a lot more good times to come. Uh, the most difficult thing is not being able to take my son home when we go and visit. He's my firstborn, and he's always been my buddy. He's taken different classes in there. He's taken parenting classes. I've seen a... I, a huge change in him. He is learning through this rehab program in there to open up, to have to be accountable. He's had to reach out and say things to his children that he probably wouldn't have on his own. Make apologies. My grandparents, they've raised us for a while, and I feel they've kind of taken over the role as parents, at least for now. I used to feel like, uh, we got our grandkids. I don't feel that way anymore. We get to live with them. They've taught us so much. That addiction that has affected them, I still see it. And I wonder what they could have been 
or what they would have been, or maybe what they only get to be because of what they've gone through. Whenever the phone rings, I, I look to see if it says restricted on it because then I know it's him. Let's call it from Jason Howell. An inmate at a federal prison. Hello. Hi, buddy. Glad I made the call because I tried, I, I tried making it. <laughs> I know you did, honey. I know you did. So how did work go? Work was okay. We had a little holiday meal today, so it was a, it was a little better than normal. Hello. What's up, buddy? Nothing much. I'm looking forward to spending time with my dad and just, like, messing around and goofing around. Okay, here's Marcus. The most exciting thing is when my son gets out, he will be able to see his oldest, Marcus, graduate. Is it snowing out there at all or no? It was this morning. Uh, it's slowed down a little bit. I just want to be able to do things with him and see him and not have any restrictions to that. We have shared the sentence with our son. It's um, It's been a long journey. The joy that comes to our hearts knowing he's going to get out is also a mixed bag because that drug is a tough one. You hear about people relapsing all the time. We hope that he will have this licked forever. But also in the back of our mind, uh, Kim and I both still kind of worry. You know, are, are we, are we? Do we have it? Do we get to stop worrying now? Are things going to be okay now? Is he telling the truth now? And I guess, uh, I guess time will tell. My name is Dale Howell. My name is Kimberly Howell. And this has been our brief but spectacular take on our family. Well, I hope you guys have a good day, buddy. I just wanted to make sure I could call and touch base with you guys. I love you a lot. I love you too. We love you too, buddy. Have a great day. So I, I felt like I needed to show you that for several reasons. You can see that they didn't mention God. Dale had a lot to say about God in the story. They took it out because they, they really don't want to give glory to anybody else, I guess. But we want to give God glory that Jason can overcome. He's going to be able to come back. He's going to Janesville for a little while. Just you know, can't say too much, but praise the Lord for him getting through this. It's been very difficult. But without God, we cannot overcome We've got to acknowledge the truth. And I really believe the first thing is to admit that there is a problem. Until that place, you cannot get to the place where you need to be. There needs to be the acknowledging of the truth. I think lastly, as we close the sermon, is that we know the truth and we need to express it, but communicate truth passionately. There was a, a, a tale told that a great English actor named Macready, I don't know if I've ever heard of him, an, an eminent uh, preacher once said to him, I wish that I could uh, explain this to you as I, as I talk to you. Well, what is it, he said. I don't know that I can explain anything to a preacher, but, but let, me, let, me just, uh, let me just ask, what is the reason for the difference between you and me? You appear before crowds night after night, and crowds come to where you go I preach night after night the essentials and the unchanging truth, and I'm not getting hardly anybody to come to hear me. McCready says this. He says, this is quite simple. I can tell you the difference between us. I present my fiction as though it were truth, and you present your truth as it was were fiction. Pretty powerful if you think about that. Because if we're going to communicate truth, we need to, com- com- we need to communicate it truthfully. In other words, if you sit down with somebody and you talk to them and say, well, you know, 
I don't, I don't really think that's, that's the case. And I, I don't, you know, I, I hate to say this, but, you know, you just, why don't you just tell the person the truth and let the truth work its way back to that individual's heart and then to their mind? You know, I, I've been harsh. I have been. 23 years, and I have been really harsh with even people that are close to me. Do you know why? Because whether they like it or not, I'm going to tell them the truth. Sometimes it's not easy to tell the truth, but you've got to tell the truth. Second John speaks of love and truth. Let's say, well, you don't love people. Think about this. If I really, really love you, I'll tell you the truth. We need help. And the culture today needs Christians that will be the salt and the light and stand for what is true. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Maybe God is working in your heart where you know that there's some things in your life that you've been dealing with and you just need to surrender it to the Lord. You know, say, I'm just going to admit the truth. You don't have to tell me. Talk to God about it. In, 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 the, in, the, in, the, in the quiet hours of the night, God speaks to your heart and he's drawing you to himself. He's saying, I am the truth. Come unto me, all you that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God will give you that rest you need if you come to him. Acknowledge, be truthful with him. Just be completely honest with him. If you need a time this morning to do that, we're going to give an invitation. Why don't you stand where you are, if you would. Everyone stand, if you would. And keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. We're going to give an invitation. And if you need to come for any reason this morning, come. This is an old-fashioned altar. God knows why you're coming. Maybe it's for salvation, true salvation, of acknowledging Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe it's for baptism, church membership, whatever it is. You come this morning. Maybe you just want to come and kneel down and pray. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated if you would. And by the way, God's going to continue to work with you on this message. He'll remind you of things. I'm done speaking it, but the Holy Spirit will continue to work in your heart. Just heed to the Spirit of God. He'll work with your heart uh, concerning the truth. I've, we've got a baptism real quick. And so, Tom Jelani, can you grab a hymnal for me, Tom, and come on up here and lead us in the song? I, I, oh, there he is. I, I was missing Tom. So i got the other Tom. So the Tom Toms. But anyway, uh, if you could go ahead and take this just for a little bit, and I'll get ready in there. All right, let's stand and turn to...